Hello, welcome. Thank you for joining me on First Responder Psychological Support. This is Season 1, Episode 6, and I am naming this episode, Pain is Inevitable, Suffering is an Option. My name is Sarah Gura. I have a master's degree in counseling psychology. I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor in the state of Illinois, an EMDR therapist, a yoga teacher, and my private practice is the self-care path in Burr Ridge, Illinois, where I treat first responders. And again, today's topic is pain is inevitable, suffering is an option. And I would love for everyone to take a nice deep breath in, And on the exhale, maybe pull those shoulders down and away from the ears. Take a moment to straighten your spine and really just find your seat, find your comfort and prepare yourself. Um, I want to talk about this title and why uh, I want to discuss it. I know I mentioned in previous podcasts that I would be talking about pain and Pain is a range of discomfort from an experience, an injury, or illness. So pain is inevitable. It's inevitable. It's an inescapable part of life. And so I find it necessary that we talk about it when it comes to mental health. Now, suffering, you know, this is a state of remaining or sustaining the pain. And sometimes it'll even intensify in quality. And so we want to talk about this obstacle that we have here in life. Pain is inevitable. Suffering is an option. And just, you know, recently we talked about the different vocabulary for first responders and the vocabulary words that I mentioned in the podcast were things like potentially traumatic events, sickness, vicarious trauma, trauma bonding. Uh, We talked about the different ways basically that first responders experience pain and how they suffer. And then we went into the signs and symptoms of that suffering, like a pattern of suffering that I was seeing. And we also talked about how to make it safe because of this pain and suffering. And all of this is a reflection, once again, of what first responders are encountering regularly. And there is this pattern of reaction that we want to change and improve. So let's talk about this idea of pain is inevitable, suffering is an option. I'm going to refer back to Buddhist psychology for this one. They have a concept or a theory, an idea, right? That there is something called the Four Noble Truths. And it talks about suffering um, a little bit differently than I do, but definitely something that I have learned from. So let's discuss the Four Noble Truths for a second. And I'm going to name the Four Noble Truths in Sanskrit first. So the first one I have most heard pronounced as Dukkha. And the second one, Samadaya. The third, Naroda. And the fourth, Maga. So what what the heck are those words? <laughs> what are those words? Uh, we're all subject to dukkha or pain. So in Buddhism, 
We talk about dukkha. I've also heard that pronounced dhaka, by the way. But this is that idea that pain is inevitable. It's an inescapable part of life. And we need to fully understand not only this, but the other three noble truths um, to, to cope and to deal with things. And the second noble truth, the samudaya, that's acknowledging that the reason that we have pain and suffering is because of our own ignorance. We don't know better. Uh, we have desires, we crave things, uh, we didn't understand, and we need to turn inward and start to, of course, notice ourselves a little better. Otherwise, of course, the suffering doesn't end. Which brings me to the third noble truth, which is Naroda. And suffering, what that means is suffering can be overcome by eliminating your ignorance. And that, of course, will help you manage those desires and cravings that you're going to have here on earth. And, of course, Maga, the truth of the path to end suffering, is the eightfold path and right actions. So there's a couple of different ways that we can look at this. There's the eightfold path that says, you know, we need to be ethical to others, ethical to ourselves. We find our posture, we breathe into it, we turn inward, we concentrate, we meditate, and we live right in pure bliss hopefully <laughs> but i don't know if it's that easy but the right actions i think take us to a beautiful place a beautiful way of living life which is the right view know the truth have the right intention have right speech have the right action the right livelihood the right effort the right concentration and of course the right mindfulness but again, for just a moment, if we're going to talk about pain and suffering, I want to review again the four noble truths, the Dukkha, Samudaya, Naroda, Maga. And hopefully maybe this will stick for you and you can acknowledge that the truth to life is that we're all going to experience some kind of pain. Pain is inevitable. Suffering is an option. But if we eliminate our ignorance and we start to know a little better, especially about our desires and our cravings and our pain, then we can overcome and maybe eliminate many, many layers of ignorance so that we can live a life that doesn't hurt so much. And again, use some of those right actions. But I want to jump into the idea that I had about pain back when I was in college. I mentioned in an earlier podcast that I said that pain is what causes mental health issues. So I think the question that was posed to me for the paper was, why do people have mental health issues in the first place? And my answer was, well, they're experiencing pain. And when someone is in pain, their mind gets extremely challenged. It, you get narrowly focused when you experience any kind of pain. And I wrote that that creates a lot of thinking errors or negative cognitions and when you're not thinking clearly, all of life can start to become meaningless. And meaninglessness is an existential crisis that just makes us say, like, what, what is this all for? Why am I here? Why does this have to happen to me? Uh, if there's all this suffering, what's the point? And of course, when we have meaninglessness, we become in danger 
of becoming destructive because who cares? Why not drink about it? Why not have a, an affair? Why not gamble your money away? Why not play video games for hours and hours on ends, on end? And what happens when we're destructive like that and we're not addressing pain correctly, when we go to sleep at night, we will have a low self-esteem. And self-esteem in my experience is not about, oh, I love myself. Oh, I'm beautiful. Oh, I'm nice. I like the way that I am. Although those things sound lovely, I think we have to look at self-esteem in terms of fear. A low self-esteem comes from not dealing with your fears well. So if you have a fear that you might get a divorce, if you have a fear that you're not parenting well, if you have a fear that you can't pay or afford the lifestyle that you're hoping for, if you fear testing and you don't know if you're going to get that promotion, uh, when you go to sleep at night, you're going to experience a low self-esteem. So a high self-esteem person, in my opinion, is someone who deals with those fears well. And I'm going to talk about that more in a moment. But I want to talk again and recap where I'm at so far, which is pain is inevitable, suffering is an option. And a lot of people experience pain. They get those thinking errors or negative cognitions. They experience this meaninglessness. They become destructive. And when they go to sleep at night, they have a low self-esteem. When that happens, that is how they create the suffering. That is an option to me. And I'm going to talk about, I'm going to talk about in just a second, an alternative option. But that suffering is what I see in my office all of the time. People come in and tell me that they feel powerless and they want control. They will tell me that they feel like they're failing at life, which is one of the most painful things I can witness in the therapy office as a therapist for first responders. When I see um, grown men sitting in front of me, and I also see women doing this too, but by far I see more men than I do women. So when these men are looking up at the ceiling because they don't want to make eye contact with me and they look out the window and the tears are welling up in their eyes and they're doing anything and everything to not let one tear drop and they tell me things like, man, what are you doing to me, Sarah? Why are we talking about this? I didn't think we'd talk about this today. Why am I crying? The F, you know? And it's because they feel a sense of powerlessness and failure. They're in a type of pain and they're in a world that told them to be stoic in response to that pain. They're living in a world that says, don't talk about it, don't cry about it, don't ask for help or something must be wrong with you. And they don't know how to cope with their thinking errors and their negative cognitions and the seemingly meaninglessness of life and they become destructive. Their self-esteem takes a plummet. So you can see how pain can cause a lot of problems. So what I suggest is whenever you are in pain, it is important to get perspective. It's so important to stop for a moment in non-reaction and non-judgment and non-attachment and turn inward to notice what is going on. And when we start to notice what is truly going on, we start to battle those thinking errors and negative cognitions. And we start to define a purpose. I mean, even battling a thinking error is purposeful. And I'm going to talk more deeply about that in a moment. But when we experience pain, we must turn inward and take a look at the inner dialogue 
and start to notice ourselves so that we have a sense of self-awareness so we can recognize where the conflict is. Again, this will create purpose that we can be productive with. And when the shit hits the fan, as I like to say it, and we don't like that, but we like our response to it, that is what creates a sense of pride or high self-esteem. So if pain is inevitable, if the shit is going to hit the fan, right, we, we have to like something about life. We have to enjoy something. And I want you to enjoy and love yourself. Despite what you're dealing with, you have to like how you're dealing with it. That is how we become what I would call a pain converting machine, right? Even though I don't think we're machines at all. But we have to turn our pain into a pleasure. And this is how we do it. When we go to sleep at night, we have to like how we dealt with the challenges in our lives so that it doesn't become suffering. And that, of course, is what gives us that sense of power that we were missing. And when we have power, not control, by the way, I try to remind people you can't control anything, right? You just, it's not a reality, but we can have a certain kind of power. And when you have that kind of power, you really start to notice your potential. When you can see what's really happening and you can decide what you're going to do about it and you like what you did about it, even if you didn't like what happened, this creates all the the noticing of your own potential. And in the last podcast, we talked about the skyscraper mind, which was all about human potential and how we don't access the different layers of our mind. And if we're going to do that, we have to know how to deal with pain. So I'm going to recap this again. When you experience pain, you can have perspective or you can have a thinking error. You can have a purpose for your pain or you can create meaninglessness. You could be productive with your pain or you can become destructive. You can have a sense of pride and self-esteem when you go to sleep at night or you can have a low self-esteem and live in a state of fear. You can experience yourself as having some pleasure in this life or you could be suffering. You can experience yourself as powerful or powerless And either you are going to start to learn and grow and develop into your potential, or you're going to feel like a failure. So that those are some crazy options, right? And I I know I would rather definitely experience pleasure, power and potential. So again, let's remind ourselves how this all ties in. In the last podcast, I talked how important it was to be mindful, to notice that skyscraper mind, that you have everything within you to succeed, and that we have two sources of knowledge. We have the head and the heart knowledge, which I referred the head knowledge as the ego and the heart knowledge as the self. We also talked about time and mental health and how they're relevant to one another. And to recap that quickly, I said depression comes from hanging out in the past too often and anxiety comes from worrying about the future too often. And so it becomes very important when we're going to deal with pain to be in the right now moment. I said that that was that wise place to be. This is where wisdom is born. 
whatever you're going to do in the now moment is exactly what you're going to be. I said something like, if you do happy things, you will be a happy person. If you do miserable things, you will be a miserable person. And so when it comes to pain, pain is inevitable, but it is your choice whether you are going to suffer because of that pain. And again, it's going to take perspective. You're going to have to assign a purpose for it, be productive with it, have a sense of pride so that you can feel pleasure, power, and potential. So this is very important, I think significantly important. And we need to talk also about how mindfulness and those thinking errors, the perspective versus the negative cognitions are competing for your attention and they want your reaction. And unfortunately, a lot of first responders can be so reactive when they get triggered or when they're in pain. They think that they're being stoic, but they're really reacting. And so I don't like the idea of reaction. I think that that is a mindless activity. You get triggered into action. You're not choosing what you're going to do, so you can't choose what you're going to be. So we don't react. And the other idea is we're never going to bounce back to like prior of the experience. So if you have been triggered or if you have experienced a trauma, there is no resilience, right? It's only right now. I don't want you to ever falsely think that you can bounce back to a previous state of being. You can only be in the right now moment and we can make progress in that right now moment. Everything else is potentially a regression. Um, so when we focus on the right now moment, once again, I'm going to mention the coping skills again, which is we must notice ourselves. We must turn inward and not react, basically. Because if we're reacting, there's no way we're noticing what's going on within us. We're not going to notice the introspective inner dialogue. So when we notice, when we are in a state of non-reaction, we create this self-awareness. And once again, we recognize how you're not dealing with your pain, which is your ego's job. Your ego's job is to ignore, deny, minimize, and numb your pain. But that's the state that gets us in trouble. That's what I was just talking about. We need to notice in the present moment what was that present day trigger that activated an old point of disturbance within you? What experience led to a trigger and what trigger gave you a thinking error or a negative cognition? And usually those have like a prior experience backing them up. So that's why I call it an old point of disturbance can fuel the right now moment into this negative cognition and this suffering. So to be clear, let's say your chief yells at you in the present moment, and that activates an old point of disturbance when your dad used to yell at you. So now you're not just upset or in pain because the chief is yelling at you. It's activating an old point of disturbance as well. And that's a lot. That's a lot of potentially destructive energy that I would want you to notice. So again, when something happens, we want to stay in a state of non-reaction. And we want to be in a state of non-judgment of that. And we want to be in a state of non-attachment. 
or not clinging. And I'm going to get more specific about that in just a moment. But I want to give you an example of what might be going on behind the scenes or in the mind of someone who's triggered. So I mentioned the chief yells at you, and that reminds you of your father. What may be going on, for example, is I have to be perfect, right? I have to be perfect or my dad's going to yell at me. So you've wired yourself up to be as perfect as you can be. And when the chief yells at you, not only are you upset that he's yelling at you, you become very upset at yourself because you swore to yourself that you would try to be perfect so you would never have to feel that again, which is going to cause all kinds of suffering. I know my sentence uh, to talk about this next topic of watching the inner dialogue, the sentence that I don't like is, I'm not good enough. So I very humbly uh, make a personal disclosure that that's my very triggering sentence. I'm not good enough. So if something happens to me in the present moment, in the right now moment, that activates the old point of disturbance that I'm not good enough, I'm going to have a pretty tough time. So when I turn inward and I'm trying to be introspective, I like to look at my thoughts. I mentioned before that you are not your thoughts, that people think that they are their thoughts, but you're not because you can observe or witness what's going on. To understand that a little more completely, I want you to imagine your thoughts as wolves, right? So hopefully they're nice, beautiful, healthy wolves when you imagine your thoughts as a couple of wolves. But I'll tell you this, if I hear I'm not good enough, I'll say my black wolf gets very, very upset. So I can watch that black wolf and she'll say, let's kill him. Then we kill him then you'll never hear that again and you'll be safe from the phrase, I'm not good enough, which that sounds crazy pants, right? I'm not homicidal, guys. But that black wolf thought, I know why she's there. I know how she developed. I know why she's defensive. I love her very much, right? I don't want to be mean to her or shut her up. I just need to understand that thought of why she would want to attack in order to defend me when I hear I'm not good enough. It's just part of my ego, and that's the thought that I have to watch when I turn inward. Now, on the other hand, when I hear I'm not good enough, my white wolf might have something to say. Uh, she usually does. And that white wolf looks at me like, maybe they're right. Maybe you're not good enough. Maybe you need another certificate. Maybe you need another degree. Maybe you need to study more, to which I definitely tell her, oh, be quiet. <laughs> like, please, please. I don't want to do that either. Um, so in a way, if I was going to sound like an extremist for a moment, my black wolf is homicidal and my white wolf is suicidal. Again, kind of sounds crazy, but I hope you're getting the point. And you can get very overwhelmed by your inner dialogue. Like, what am I going to do? They're in conflict with each other. How am I going to solve this problem, this conflict, this pain that I'm having? I'm suffering because I'm noticing these two reactions within myself. And that's when I say, once again, you are the observer. You're the one watching the wolves. You're the one who is alpha. You are the dominant person. You're the self the wolves are your ego. And if you could just take a moment when you get triggered by something to notice what's the thought that's creating all this pain and suffering, you'll start to see those wolves. And your wolves, 
They are not supposed to lead you. Once again, you're alpha, so wolves don't get to go in front. They also should never be left behind. Those are your babies. That is yourself, your personal experience, everything that you have been through in your life. And so it's important that you don't let them wander off either. It's important that if someone throws them a stick, like you have to be perfect or you can't let it out or I'm not good enough, that you don't let them go chase it or grab it. If you're going to walk through the forest of life with your wolves, I want you once again to realize you are the alpha, you are the dominant. And this is not domineering, by the way. There's no leashes, there's no screaming or yelling at the wolves, there's no misunderstanding them, there's no telling them that they're stupid or dumb. You can't keep ignoring, denying, minimizing, and numbing them. You need to learn to work with them because domineering behavior is abusive, it's toxic, it's beta behavior. You need to be able to turn inward with love, gratitude, kindness, compassion, and wisdom for yourself. You've got to learn to love those wolves. You need to feed them both. You need to guide and parent them both, um, or however many there are. We, we will definitely talk about internal family systems down the road and all those different parts that happen within us all at the same time. And when we get better at parenting ourselves and loving ourselves, in fact, when we make sure we don't parent ourselves the way that we were raised, when we parent ourselves in an even better way than what we were raised, a more genuine, authentic way, we do so much better. And so now is when I want to really define that non-reaction, non-judgment, non-attachment thing that I've been mentioning. These ideas are the top of the line coping skills in, once again, my book. And it's because reacting and being judgmental and attaching or clinging to things are definitely going to add more suffering. And today, remember, we're trying to eliminate the suffering. We can't eliminate pain, unfortunately. Pain is inevitable, but your suffering about it is an option. And so when I talk about non-reaction, non-reaction is about not doing anything in that moment that you are triggered except for turning inward and noticing those wolves. What are they thinking? What do they want to do? Do you understand why they're being negative? Do you understand how they developed to be this way? And do you know how to love them so that you can continue on your path without them making a decision for you? That non-reaction, once again, is about noticing and becoming self-aware and recognizing the parts of yourself that work against you. When you do that, of course, that non-judgment once again is significantly important because I don't want you to judge your wolves. I don't want you to be reacting to the inner dialogue, in other words. I, I don't even want you judging anything external of you. It's a waste of time. Uh, I want you to notice it. I want you to notice your reaction to it. I want you to listen to what that reaction is so that you can learn to respond to it better. But you can't be judging. You can't stay in, I hate this, I don't like it, you're a bad person or I'm a bad person. Like that's all just more distraction. So when we're in a state of non-reaction and we're in a state of non-judgment, then we can also be in a state of non-attachment because I'm not going to attach or cling to anything that has happened that is happening, or what I fear may happen. 
Non-attachment is also about not gripping or clinging to, well, this is not what my dad taught me, or this isn't how my uh, trainer trained me. This isn't what I learned in academy, or this isn't how my last sergeant did this. We get to clinging and attaching so much, and I would rather you go with the flow. Energy goes where attention goes. Or let me say that again, energy flows where attention goes. And we want to be able to notice things and go with the flow. But many people, not only do they cling and attach to their ideas and their beliefs and what they think should be, um, they will also give up. And to me, that's still a type of an attachment. And when you give up, you're in a state of that ignoring, minimizing, denying, and numbing state. So we don't want that. Non-attachment then is softly landing, softly landing with the truth and just noticing it without your reaction, without your judgment, without attaching to anything. So despite how everything sometimes feels, it sometimes feels like you're under pressure and you have to react, you have to respond. A lot of first responders, they have time limits Um, not only at work, but in their personal life. And they want to just, I think, react constantly. But once again, we don't call you first reactors. We call you first responders. Reacting can be irrational. And responding uses your talents and skills. And what I'm encouraging you to think about is using the same mind at work that has those talents and skills that responds to crises to respond that same beautiful way to the self and any triggers or old points of disturbance that you may have. So we'll definitely be talking about that inner dialogue and the different parts of self that get in conflict with one another as we go. But I hope this is a helpful introduction to the idea of addressing pain. And what we also want to do Uh, in the next podcast is talk a little bit about where we get hung up with this. So in the next season, not next season, the next episode, we're going to talk about how relentless the ego can be. And Carl Jung has a theory about the ego and the shadow. And to summarize it, he he talks about how having is wanting. So we're going to talk about how the ego tricks you into suffering without taking any responsibility for it and how that causes all kinds of problems, of course. Um, But right now I'm going to go ahead and remind you that pain is inevitable, suffering is an option, and when you experience pain, you're going to have to turn inward and get perspective. You're going to have to notice that ego. You're going to have to notice the wolves, and you're going to have to be productive with them. You're going to have to be the alpha and the dominant because I want you to experience the pride and the self-esteem of non-reaction, non-judgment, and non-attachment in any triggering situation, especially if it activates an old point of disturbance. That is such a beautiful experience. I guarantee you will experience some kind of pleasure. Once again, pain to pleasure is the goal. We don't want pain to suffering. And I want you to feel a sense of powerfulness. You may not have a sense of control, especially of the external environment, 
but you can have a sense of powerfulness as a human being. And you, in that powerfulness, can notice what your potential is and how you can handle those noble truths that we talked about in the very beginning. And again, in summary, pain is inevitable. Suffering is an option. So I want to thank you all, right, for listening to First Responder Psychological Support Podcast and remind you that I am Sarah Gura. I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor for first responders at the Self-Care Path in Burridge. And I'm going to remind you also to do life so it doesn't do you and to take good care and to stay very safe, of course. Take care. Bye-bye.